The Spin-Off Podcast Network. When the Facts Change is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Kiwi Bank. The bank for Kiwi looking to get ahead in business and in life. A bank that delivers expertise and banking know-how, smart advice for business owners wanting to invest, grow their business or diversify. A bank that adapts with technology through the lens of its people and customers. It is a bank with heart that is driven by its purpose. Kiwi making Kiwi better off. You've probably heard me say this before, but everything, everything is always, always about housing. We don't actually have an economy or even a political economy that's normal or real. Actually, we've just got a housing market with bits tacked on that is now the most expensive housing market in the world relative to incomes for those people who want to buy and the most expensive renting market in the world for people who are the poorest in our society. In fact, we are the most expensive, stressful renting market in the world because we haven't built enough houses and because our housing market is actually all about investment. A way to invest your money, leverage it up, and get a tax-free gain. That's what our politics, our economics... Our society in many ways is dominated by this failure to tax the leveraged gains from residential land values. And now we're in this position where it's starting to pollute the rest of our economic and political debate around a particularly sensitive area, retirement policy. For the last 20 or 30 years, politicians from both sides of the House have effectively frozen our political debate around retirement policy with the threat, the threat that if you choose to try and change our retirement policies, and we're talking here about universal New Zealand superannuation paid at a rate of about two-thirds of the average weekly wage for a couple, and that it kicks in at 65, the implied threat that if you try and change that, we'll go to the voters and say, these other guys want to change it. It's going to wreck this beautiful system we've got that we've relied on forever, and I'll get elected and you won't. And this uh, effectively a social contract, a political settlement between National and Labor has has occasionally wobbled. For example, uh, in the 2011 and 2014 elections, Labor proposed to extend the retirement age from 65 to 67. And then in the 2017 election, National proposed to extend the retirement age from 65 to 67. It's no accident that the parties that tried to change it actually lost. And right now it's sort of topical because the opposition party under Christopher Luxon also want to change the retirement age from 65 to 67. Labor have now really locked themselves on to 65 as an unbroken change and are now threatening the voters with the potential for a a new national government which would change the retirement age, albeit over a longer period. So this settlement, this truce on retirement policies looks like it's going to come under an awful lot of pressure because the debate has just changed. In the last 20 or 30 years, Housing costs have been a crisis and a growing one for young people, for people trying to start their lives, buy their first home. And then, of course, those people who can't even afford their first home having to pay the rent. And we've seen the 
cost of that flow through into extreme stress for those bigger families with relatively low incomes, collecting accommodation supplements, not being able to afford their rent, and Aotearoa having the highest proportion of poor people paying the most of their disposable income in rent in the developed world. So we know that's a crisis for young people, but we didn't really think it was a problem for older people. Remember, most of our property now is owned by people over the age of 50. They're the beneficiaries of the $1 trillion increase in the value of property. They're the landlords, or at least 60% plus of the people who are getting New Zealand superannuation are owning their own homes. And they're particularly if they don't have a mortgage against it, they're reasonably okay. But a survey and a report this week from the Retirement Commissioner shows how that is changing under our feet. This problem with housing supply and housing expense is now shifting the tectonic plates under our retirement debate because by 2048, the Retirement Commissioner is forecasting that the number of people who will have to pay rent or have to pay for a mortgage on the property after the age of 65 is likely to double to 600,000. And a good chunk of those are already paying more than 50% of their disposable income from New Zealand superannuation just on the rent and on mortgages. And with 600,000 people in effectively rent or mortgage stress Once they're retired, we have a massive problem. Of course, New Zealand superannuation is designed to prevent poverty in old age and actually has been one of the most successful social policies that we have over the last 20 or 30 years. It's widely admired around the world. It's relatively simple and relatively cheap. But it's now under pressure from the same thing that hammers the rest of our political economy, the cost of housing. This week on When the Facts Change, I talked to Jane Wrightson, who is the Retirement Commissioner. She's suggesting that we keep the current settings of 65 and two-thirds of the average wage and keep that effective political agreement in place, but that we address the housing costs. and In particular, give better access to people who are retired and on New Zealand superannuation to the accommodation supplement. Currently, the assets test is locked in at $8,100 per person. It was set in 1993 and it hasn't changed. So there's a proposed change there. And also, Jane Wrightson is suggesting that the government do a lot more to provide a lot more housing that's affordable for people who are retired. Maybe they're downsizing, they need a one or two bedroom apartment that is accessible, or maybe they're from a family group that likes intergenerational and needs intergenerational living situations. Those sorts of houses, either the small houses or the multi-generational large houses, are just not there at the moment in an affordable way. And that's what we're talking about this week. How has the landscape shifted under our superannuation debate? And what needs to change if we're going to keep most of our elderly people out of poverty. I'm Bernard Hickey. That's this week on When the Facts Change. Well, kia ora and welcome to When the Facts Change to Jane Wrightson, who is the Retirement Commissioner, has been doing an awful lot of work with her team on the once every three years review of retirement policies. Jane, welcome to our show. 
Hi, Bernard. Good to be here. Thank you. Could you tell us what has changed in your recommendations versus previous reviews? What are you saying should change about New Zealand superannuation and what should stay the same? I'm saying that the age of eligibility for New Zealand super should remain the same at 65 um, for a bunch of reasons we can go into shortly if you like. Um, I'm saying that there are aspects of the retirement settings that need to be looked at, such as the accommodation supplement. And I'm saying that there are changes in our demography and our um, social uh, constructs that uh, have not really been thought through carefully enough, um, even in the last three to five years. So it's been a really good opportunity to have a deep dive. I mean, the, the job of my office is to do some very principled research and thinking. I didn't come into this exercise having strong views one way or the other. Uh, we want to do a really evidence-based process because obviously all the key decisions um, are upstairs. They're for governments to, to take. Uh, and we want the best quality evidence available so that the discussions can be intelligent and the policy can be principled. So over the last sort of 20 years or so, a lot of the debate is focused around the age of eligibility. Should it rise to 67? Various parties have had various policies and the previous retirement commissioners, except for the most recent acting one, had all, had all recommended an increase in the age of eligibility from 65 to 67 generally over a long period. And uh, that's one of the party's policies. And it, the current government used to have it as a policy, but doesn't anymore. So what what's changed in the interim, which would mean you're saying let's keep it at 65? I think the world's changed uh, for a start. And we're living in a very difficult world at the moment. I mean, I'm, I think of the, of the UK who put their pension up, age up from 65 to 66, and the Institute for Fiscal Studies there, uh, within the year or two, uh, reported that that doubled the poverty rates for those people aged over 65, which is pretty staggering. And the retirement income system in New Zealand, which has only got two parts, it's only got New Zealand super and, and the voluntary savings uh, spearheaded largely by KiwiSaver, um, we've got a, it's a reasonably fragile system we have. So I say that change has to be considered enormously carefully. The other thing that I thought was interesting is that we've been really good at worrying about the cost of super and we don't really think about the value and the benefit of it. And I quite like, you know, even-handed arguments. So we did quite a bit of work thinking about the benefits um, of New Zealand super you know, its purpose is to alleviate uh, pension poverty, um, and it does a good job of that. It's it's barely doing a job if you live in uh, a major centre, and it's barely doing a job if you have housing costs. You know, if you can alleviate pension poverty and enable people to give back to their communities, um, their contributions are really valuable. So what we know at the moment is that the value of unpaid and voluntary work undertaken by older people is estimated to be around 15 billion a year uh, as of 2021. And that's projected to be over 70 billion by, by 2071. So this kind of reminds me of the, the work, early work that Marilyn Waring did in the 70s, valuing the work of women. You know, if you could put if you can put a quantitative cost on, you could start seeing 
that that kind of work and that kind of community contribution is really important. What would we do without our caregivers? What would we do with our old people on the marae? What would we do without our volunteers? That's the main contribution of older people. And particularly during COVID, when, you know, a lot of people um, had to stay at home, there was increased need for childcare and people weren't able to go to school. Yeah, and, and of course, uh, superannuants pay tax. It's not like they're freeloading off the system. So that's the um, the 65 uh, thing. But I was fascinated by your thoughts and research on the housing aspects of uh, New Zealand superannuation and those people who are past the, the age of eligibility, and in particular how the affordability to buy and to rent over the last 20 years, how the worsening of both has effectively changed the landscape underneath the New Zealand superannuation system. The overall system hasn't changed much in 20 or 30 years in terms of the the payment being around two-thirds of uh, an average weekly wage for a couple, and neither has the universality of it. But housing costs have changed, and could you give us a sense of how much more of an issue it is for those people who maybe have either haven't paid off their mortgage or are having to rent? Well, it's massive. So the review itself talks about there being kind of three stories of retirement in New Zealand at the moment. Um, and the first one is the dominant narrative, right, which is the one that we're all familiar with, that you and I are probably part of. We've got a house owned outright or near as damaged. Uh, with relatively healthy occupants, um, with adequate private savings, and who have money for treats, which might include overseas travel. And that's the the, uh, stereotype we see all the time. Now, that only reflects about half of the over 65s, and that story is not going to increase, it's going to decrease. Um, The second story highlights those that are struggling to get by, Um, even when a home is owned outright. So these are people just living on New Zealand super or maybe being asset-rich, cash-poor. It's it's also the story of those uh, who have a brief retirement um, or or none at all. So you've got to look at the longevity rates of Māori and Pacifica, who are also taxpayers, who a, 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 a bad chunk of whom don't get to see their pension at all. Um, And the third story, which is the one that you're talking about, is the emerging story that is only just coming to light now. It's the story of an increasing number of older people paying rent. Um, We think there's going to be a 100% increase in um, uh, pension renters by 2048 compared to 2020. Uh, It's also the story of continuing to pay a mortgage after 65, which is the case of um, one in five, all right? So this emerging narrative, if you like, um, it's already about a third of the over 65s. And if you think about it, the NZ Super system is designed for you either to have a mortgage-free house or to be in um, affordable social housing. And both of those structures are under a a little bit of pressure at the moment. Yeah, could you give us a sense of how much those people who are uh, um, retired or past the age of eligibility, how much stress they're in, how much of their mortgage are they having to pay out in rent or, or uh, sorry, how much of their super are they having to pay out in rent or, or, or their mortgage? About 80% of people paying off mortgages uh, are spending about 40% of their NZ super on their housing costs, which is a big chunk. And 
half of those people are spending more than 80%. Doesn't leave a lot over. Do you take into account um, that some people will be earning a wage as well as New Zealand Super and may have assets, a term deposit or some sort of investment which they're receiving income from? I mean, how how can you be sure that, uh, you know, after the 80% of New Zealand Super that there isn't a lot of money coming in from elsewhere that's helping to pay the other bills? There might well be, but they are a very small part of the population. So that's the dominant narrative bit. And if you think about how wealthy we are as a nation, the answer is not very. So, you know, I'm not especially concerned about the top one or two or three percent of people in this country. Those are the ones you're talking about, and they're just fine, Jack. Thank you very much. The others, um, it's a bit like how you run through your life. If you've been an average earner through your life, you're going to be... um, You'll have lower savings. Um, You may well have had life shocks. We all get a life shock or two on the way through that derails planning if we've been lucky enough to plan and save. Um, And but there's no there's no flexibility for them in the system, right? So the NZ Super itself is a magnificent thing uh, because it you know it's your guaranteed minimum income, right? Um, And a very good thing it is too. But does it give you the the retirement that you want, that's entirely reliant on private savings, um, entirely reliant on your good fortune of where you were born and, and, and whether you or not you had education and opportunities, whether or not you've had uh, significant economic life shocks, and that can range from business failure to divorce to health scares. You know, there's a lot between the day you start work and the day you finish. Um, and I don't think any of us rock up to, to 65 and beyond going, oh, yeah, everything went exactly according to plan. And if it did, you're incredibly lucky. And um, because there's such a wide uh, spectrum of situations for people, how do you make sure that this quite universal blunt instrument is going to uh, ensure that people don't have to live in poverty after the age of 65? What sort of changes do you think are necessary? The fact that NZ Super is indexed is good. Um, so there's, an, a, there's a built-in increase each year, but it is, of course, a retrospective index, so you're only always really chasing your tail. Um, the creation of the accommodation supplement a few years ago, which is means-tested, I think, while it's a difficult and relatively unpopular intervention, I think, from, by the bureaucrats, because it's quite hard. Uh, but the very fact that you can get a means-tested addition to your super Um, focused on housing is probably the trick to to sorting out some of these impending housing issues. And the problem of the accommodation supplement at the moment is that it's just too low. Uh, It was invented, um, uh, it hasn't been put up since I think about 1993 or something like that. It's about 8,100 or give or take a bit. We're suggesting it goes up to 42.7. That's the cash asset test. Uh, meaning if you've got that much money in the bank, uh, you can't access it. If you've got less than that, you can. Even with the, that that asset test, and um, there are a few people who have their assets increased, particularly if they've had a KiwiSaver account, uh, um, there has actually been an increase in the number of people 
who are receiving New Zealand superannuation and also having to apply for the accommodation supplement, um, it would have been even more if if that uh, asset test had been able to move with inflation or asset prices from 1993 levels of 8,100. The ones that are applying will be are the most vulnerable. So it's not, you know, this, I don't know the proportion of pensioners who get the accommodation supplement. I suspect it's relatively low, but, but because the cash asset test is so low, not many will be there. Um, and because it hasn't been adjusted for so long, it's, they treat it, this this um, accommodation supplement is there for all beneficiaries, right, including superannuitants. The difference between beneficiaries and superannuitants is that many beneficiaries have an economic uh, life ahead of them. They're just in a stage at the moment where they can't earn. Um, superannuitants have very limited economic life left in them, you know, between 65 and 70, sure. They may well continue to work if they can, um, because they're probably thinking that they may have 20 or 30 years of um, retirement to fund uh, and they won't have enough savings to do it without continuing to work past 65. So if they can work, they will. And then, as you know, in, in your 70s, some people are still absolutely healthy enough to work and able to do it. Uh, some are not. And by the 80s, uh, the ability to earn money um, becomes reasonably limited. You're not, you're not put out to pasture, but it's hard. When the Facts Change is brought to you in partnership with KiwiBank to help you understand the issues affecting the economy. And that's what their team of experts is here to do too. Here's KiwiBank economist Sabrina Delgado on what's happening with the labour market in Aotearoa. Our slowing economy gives way to higher unemployment, and we're seeing tightness in the labour market quickly abating. Both a recovery on the supply side, with our surging migration, boosting labour supply and loosening some very tight labour market conditions. But now a stronger narrative is coming through. As consumer demand cools, so too is the demand for labour. Firms are no longer hiring with the same gusto. Already, unemployment has started to lift from record lows, and we expect that to continue throughout 2024. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to stay up to date with detailed economic analysis and forecasts from Sabrina and other KiwiBank experts. They take big issues from both here and overseas and make them relevant to Kiwi businesses. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. So housing costs are obviously an issue and they've risen 
um, not just uh, relative to inflation, but uh, relative to wages in many places in recent years. And we've also seen, of course, the cost of ownership um, rise even more than that, which means that some people have had to get mortgages relatively late in their working lives and have still got them as they hit the age of 65. So what, aside from the accommodation supplement asset uh, test changes, would you like to see the government look at in terms of improving housing costs at least? It's a bit broader than that. We just want to make sure that the needs of older New Zealanders are taken into account when housing policy is being designed, right? Because the, the, the dominant narrative over the last while has been the problems that the poor uh, first homeowners have been suffering. And they're real, no, no doubt about it. But there are also problems that um, older New Zealanders uh, encounter, which is the idea that you might downsize your family home, can, you know, bank some of the money and then live happily ever after. Well, question being, what are you going to downsize to? Uh, a comfortable little two-bedroom brick and tile. Not many of those are being built anymore and they're not being built in the right places. And they might be three stories high, which is not helpful as you get older. So building design is interesting. If you're a Pacifica person, you want to live with, your, with your, an extended family. That, you generally speaking, you want an intergenerational solution. So those guys need big houses. Um, Pākehā New Zealanders need smaller houses. Māori need to look at, uh, 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 I've got issues around iwi land ownership, of course, which is you know, fiendishly difficult. But the hard work needs to be done to address the housing needs of a different New Zealand than the one we had yesterday. And I'm not the only person saying this. There are many housing experts far smarter than me are scratching their heads over it. And as the housing costs rise for people on New Zealand superannuation and um, they struggle to get the right types of housing, the ones that are accessible, they may not be warm enough or dry enough, um, there are extra costs that the public have to bear if you look at it in a purely financial sense with healthcare costs, um, you know, st the stress of having to pay the rent uh, on top of all the other issues can uh, affect your health. And, uh, of course, as people um, get older, there are more health issues, so you, you sort of compound things. Do you think that the, the government apparatus across the board is thinking enough about these unseen liabilities that perhaps are expanding because we haven't addressed the housing costs uh, more directly? I think the housing problem overall in New Zealand, as we know, is an old one. A successive governance, governments have not cracked this. Um, this government has spent a lot of time thinking very hard about it. The previous government was starting to, I think, but we all know it's a five or 10 or 15 year solution. So, you know, it's a bit like NZ Super. It would be really nice to see cross-party accords, wouldn't it? Because three-year political cycles do not help these long-term, uh, crunchy, difficult problems. And so what could a, a cross-party accord which addressed the housing needs of uh, older New Zealanders look like? Mm, you could have a housing policy that says this is what we get, well, might overall, actually, uh, for all New Zealanders, of which a subset would be older New Zealanders, uh, which would be a 10 or 15-year strategy. And if you had a cross-party accord on that, you could at least, the, the officials and the industry could work with a degree of certainty to know that um, and, and, uh, as, as governments change, the, the, the strategies don't get thrown out the window. 
So um, one of the other um, issues around this changing landscape around uh, housing costs and housing wealth is that um, Treasury and others have identified that more and more of the wealth is being held at the upper end of the age spectrum. And um, there must be a, there'll be a bunch of uh, younger people listening into this show going, "Gee, I, I'm I'm paying an awful lot for my house. I can barely afford to save for a deposit, and then the deposit keeps getting bigger and bigger, and no one's helping me. And if I get into trouble, I have to um, apply for a benefit, and and uh, there are rebates, and there's asset testing and means testing." And these guys over the age of 65, you've got all these um, retired high court judges with three pensions and six houses, and <laughs> um, and they're getting free money and not being tested. Um, how, f- how fair is the system that we have at the moment, which is universal, which isn't means tested, and how, how much of a risk is it that you throw the baby out with the bathwater for all those young people looking, looking up and saying, well, they own all the houses, why should we help any of them? Yeah, and it's really important we try and look at this from an intergenerational perspective. So I can absolutely understand that. Um, There aren't many boomers like me who aren't more than mildly appalled at the um, gap that's emerged between the generations and and between the uh, other demographic cohorts. But the, the people you were talking about before, generally speaking, are the ones in the dominant narrative, Right. Um, and so that's the ones that people shout out. Yes, they've got three houses and a boat and, and possibly a batch on top of it all. There aren't that many of them, but there's a few, and I'm not at all talking about them or worried about them. It is also true if and when they strike um, life shocks, all that can melt away quite quickly. <laughs> the divorce or the business value tends to do it. And they're mostly men. That's the thing. There's a, um, the, the story of women in retirement's a bit tougher, particularly the ones that come out of divorce. Um, they don't tend to do as well. Um, and they're set back, you know, six steps, not three. But the, the second and the third narratives I talked about earlier, you know, the ones that are struggling by just on NZ Super, um, or the ones that are renting and that number will increase, are the ones we need to worry about. Uh, and so if you like, I'm worrying about the renting ones knowing that number's going to get bigger um, and knowing that some of the younger people now will be will form part of that cohort in the future. Do I think it's um, good and should be ignored by policymakers? Hell no. Because one of the, um, the beauties of the New Zealand Super system is that uh, because it's not a um, pre-funded system, it's a pay-as-you-go system, the people who are paying taxes today are paying for today's New Zealand Super despite the, um, I wouldn't call it an urban myth, but the impression or the view that, um, you know, I put all my money in over the years to my pension and now I'm collecting the money back, which is true for some pension for systems overseas, but it's not true for ours. That's true, but, you know, I paid for my grandparents' pension in effect and my parents and my my, my daughter will pay for mine. It's just, it's just the system. It's why the New Zealand Super Fund was invented, to try and smooth this out a bit. Because as we have got a, a demographic ageing bulge, as we know, um, the costs are obviously going up. And so the, that, that the government might put money aside in a long-term fund to help smooth that um, it was very smart. Uh, governments that don't contribute to that fund are not being smart. 
But as the pressure grows, as the inequality widens and the stress at the bottom end of the income spectrum grows, and particularly as you have a a dependency ratio that increases the pain, if you like, of the working age population in 10, 20 years' time paying for those people who are retired in 10, 20 years' time, isn't there a risk that we'll need to revert to means testing, um, particularly along asset lines, to ensure that uh, New Zealand Super is affordable, but also politically sustainable? Because the people who will be paying it in 20 years' time are the ones who missed out on the $1 trillion of wealth that landed on the heads of those who happened to own property in the last 30 years. Yeah, um, and, and I think that's what I mean when I referred to earlier by principal policy work. So let's say we decide the country can't afford it, and, and that's a deeply arguable, contestable claim because governments make spending choices all the time. So just saying you can't afford it doesn't mean it's so. But that would be quite serious, right? Um, then there's a basket of policy options you could consider to address that problem. The easiest one is put the age up, yes, um, but it is not the only one. And putting the age up simply hurts women, Māori and Pacifica disproportionately to anybody else. So as a woman, you can see I'm not especially keen on this. Um, there are other policy options like indeed means testing. Yes, indeed. It's politically um, terribly unpopular and governments have been voted out with that, but it's still an option and should be, still should be worked through. You know, there are options like Peter Dunmooted many years ago about carrots and sticks. If you don't pick up your pension now and you pick it up later, is the way we could massage those numbers something that would benefit the country as well as the individual? Um, there's, there's a number of things you could do to say we can't afford it anymore, but the first question has to be who says we can't afford it and why are we coming to that conclusion? Yes, um, it's a fascinating political economy problem um, driven often by the um, the demographics and the wealth of the median voter in our current system. It's, well, it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because the people who shout most about not being able to afford it um, or having to put the age up or, or the, the, you know, the kind of easy um, claims are often men in suits, you know? Um, or people that have had relatively comfortable lives, they might well be a little unaware of the privilege they've had around the education and the employment front. Um, there are fewer women uh, in, in, that, in, in that cohort, I think. Uh, some of them have, you know, married well. Well, good for them. I hope the marriage lasts, you know. <laughs> and some, like me, are okay because I've been lucky, I've had a good education and I've had a good career. But I absolutely understand that I'm lucky and that, like most people, we're only a couple of disasters away from uh, encountering very difficult circumstances, you know? So you have to ask the really big questions around this time. What kind of country do we want? You know, do, what kind of safety net do we want? Do we want old, older people being able, being forced to work much longer than they can and should? And that happens in some countries. Do we agree that there should be some dignity and mana in retirement? Um, yes, we have to balance the, the, the economic needs of older people and the economic needs of families and the economic needs of younger people. But I would argue, particularly from a woman's perspective, that um, the issues surrounding older women in particular are quite intense. 
I've had uh, a number of emails this week from women uh, who are either divorced, uh, widowed or single, um, who are telling me that they're not having a very good time economically. And none of them, uh, apart from one who's had a very messy divorce and lost most of her assets, none of them have had um, have been profligate. It's just that they haven't got enough behind them to make their looking forward for the next 20 or 30 years anything other than more than mildly terrifying. And, of course, the housing issue is the crucial one. Often it's the debate about who owns the house and who collects the money from the house if they've got one. And if you don't have one, how much it costs to, to live or whether you can even get older one. Exactly. That's half the issue. Jane Wrightson, the Retirement Commissioner, um, thank you very much for being on When the Facts Change. My pleasure. When the Facts Change was brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network, together with KiwiBank. Visit kiwibank.co.nz to find out how KiwiBank are making Kiwi better off. Kia ora e te iwi, te ai he butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.